was busy, uh, but I had a great day today. Praise the Lord. But we have a great day every day. Every day. So, all right. Praise the Lord. It's time for Bible study, so let's get started. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you one more time for the privilege to come and study your word and to see your glory, Lord, and all these wonderful promises you made us in your word, both good and bad, Lord, you made them both ways. You told us what you liked and what you don't like, and uh, Lord, you are a God of love, but you are a God of wrath also. So, Lord, we thank you that we're, we're learning how to walk in faith and walk in love with you. So we can see you do great and mighty things, and so we can see and know that you talk to us. Lord, I praise you and thank you for the great and wonderful things you do. And I just worship you now as we go into another teaching, a Tuesday night Bible study. May you bless us with your word as we study it tonight. And thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the King. Okay, uh, tonight we're going to talk about some things, and we'll start out with Luke 13, Luke chapter 13, verse 6. We're going to talk about some of those things that the Lord has said in His Word, and some of these we don't really necessarily like to listen to, but it's all in the book, so we have to take the good. You know, we love it whenever He says, come and ask anything in my name and I'll do it. You know, we love those kind of promises, don't we? And then we come and ask anything in his name, and it didn't happen. And you say, this book don't work. Oh, yes, it does work. But you've got to meet the criteria to get there, right? And to meet the criteria is not easy, is it, Eldon? But if we do meet the criteria, if we do meet the criteria that God has told us what to do, he will do what he said. And we get to see the king answer our prayers. We get to see him do great and mighty things. You know, but, you know, he loves it when we're obedient. I just can't overemphasize that. Can we, Frank? We love it, and God loves it when we're obedient. And, of course, you as a parent, you love it when your children are obedient, and you don't like it when your children are disobedient. And that's just the way it is, you know. So, let's look at some of these things. Now, Luke thirteen six. He spoke also this parable. He said, A certain man had a fig tree, had this fig tree, (coughs) and it was planted in his vineyard, and he came and he sought fruit thereof and found none. Now then, have any of you ever had a fruit tree in your garden that didn't bear any fruit? I have. I have had some in my garden that didn't bear fruit. And, of course, he's given us an example. He came and saw fruit therein, and he found none. Then said he unto the dresser of the vineyard, Behold, these three years I came searching fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why let it take up the soil? Cut it down. Now then, in the Scriptures, many a place you'll find that he calls us trees. When he talks about human beings, he's talking about trees. So here he's talking about a tree. And then this man answered and said to him, Lord, let it alone this year. 
you know, give me one more year with this tree, and I will, you know, I will dig around it, you know, and I will dung it or fertilize it. I will do all these things. And if it bears fruit, okay. And if not, then after that, you shall cut it down. So let me tell you, these scriptures like this really became a revelation to me after I had the experience with a friend of mine that had got out of church for 10 years. You know, I mean, here is a guy that's in his mid-50s, and he had been, I mean, so on fire for Jesus all those years, had served the Lord and, and produced good fruit. I mean, he wrote articles about the Word, and uh, he was a youth leader and a Bible teacher and all kinds of stuff. He was just a, a man of God. And uh, he married the wrong woman. You know, I mean, he thought he married the right one, I guess. But this woman he married, she didn't want to go to church. And so, although she said she was a Christian. And so he listened to her instead of listening to the Word. And he stopped going to church. So, ten years later, here he is uh, down with brain tumors. And I go down there to get him healed. And I spent all day with him get, trying to get him healed. And that was on Monday. And on Thursday, he died. Well, Sunday, I went back down there to the funeral, and after the funeral was over, Sunday on the way home, all the way home, I said, Lord, I got to know where I messed up. I mean, your word, I've seen so many people healed. I've seen you. I said, you put me in a healing ministry, Lord. You're the one called me to do this, and I've been about your business. And so, Lord, I said, I've seen you heal many people. But, Lord, I went and did Everything I knew to do and beyond uh, for this one because he was a friend. You know, I really had a great investment in him. You know, if you love somebody and it was your best friend in high school, you gotta, you want to really help them, right, Frank? Sure. And I wanted to help him. And I went and did everything. And of course, by the time I got there, he was already, he just sitting there looking. He didn't know who I was. Uh, at the end of the day, I finally asked him, after praying over him, anointing him with oil, doing everything the Scripture says, I finally asked him just before I got ready to go home, I says, do you know who I am? And he turned and looked at me, and that's the first time he had responded to anything I'd said. He turned and looked at me, and he said, you're Thurman Scribner. I thought, praise God, he's healed. It's done. Praise the Lord. I just know he's healed. But that was on Monday, and then Thursday, he's dead. Well, I, I thought, Lord, what did I do wrong? I know the Word says He don't hear the prayer of a sinner. So I know if I'm sinning and haven't repented, I know He's not going to hear my prayer. But most people don't even know that. You know, they just pray and they don't realize that, you know, they just went out last night. And, uh, uh, in fact, like this one guy I was talking to here a while back, he had left his wife. She wouldn't divorce him because of the they were Catholic and they didn't believe in divorce. So he got mad at her or, and whatever, and he left her, and he left his wife, and I think they had two or three children, and he moved in with another little filly and had a baby with her. And when I talked to him, I said, D do you know God? Oh, yeah, I know God. I talk to him every day. And when I found out where he was living, I told him, I said, no, you don't know God. I said, you can only know God through reading the Word. Oh, he said, I don't have to read that book. He said, I'm a Catholic, and they don't want me to read the Bible. I said, well, I said, sir, even Catholics, they got a great Bible, you know, but you, you should read it. Well, he said, they, don't, they tell me I don't have to read it. So he said, I know God. Now, if he don't know the Word, he don't know God. 
Because you can't get to where you can know God outside of His Word. Because when you read the Word, that is God. And when you read the Word, you find out what the king likes and what he doesn't like. And that's the only way you can find out what moves his hand and what makes him angry. Because he don't come anymore and sit down and talk with us. Very rarely. I mean, very rarely will the king come today and sit down with you and carry on a conversation with you. Once in a while he'll give you a word. Once in a while he may tell you something. And once in a while he may come and sit down and talk with you a few minutes. He's done all those things for me. And some of you he's done the same thing for. But he doesn't do that for everyone. He expects people to read his word and heed what he says. Because one of the times he spoke to me, he told me after Caitlin's miracle, he would not talk to me during that miracle. I mean, during the trauma, I should say. If I ever needed God to talk to me, I needed him to talk to me. But he would not. You know, I'm talking, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. You know, here my granddaughter's laying here. They tell me she can't live. Lord, I need a word from you. What's going on? He wouldn't say a word. Not a word. And so through the whole thing, whenever I went down to Tennessee, Nashville, to film that thing, to put it on Sid Roth, whenever Sid said, now here, he hears a voice. And in the hearing of the voice, he says, Go, the voice says, go ahead and unplug her and I'll let her live. I said, no, Sid, I didn't hear no voice. He looked at me and said, you mean to tell me you had the faith to tell them you guaranteed that little girl's going to live just on it is written? I said, yes. And that's when he spoke to me. And the Lord said, and that's why I didn't speak to you. I want you to tell my people on this show that if they will stand on my word and be obedient, I will do what I said in my word. I don't have to talk to them. And I thought, wow. You know, but he said, that's why I didn't talk to you. Of course, you know, if he had said, sure, son, no problem. Just go ahead and tell them to unplug her and I'll let her live. Well, then I'd have told everybody that. And they'd have said, well, he never talked to me. And he didn't tell me that, so there's not a chance that someone can live or get well because God didn't tell me they could. See, he expects us to believe it is written. But all of it, not just part of it. And some of the things we're talking about here tonight, we don't like. Because a fig tree or a tree represents a human being. And when you get out of touch with God, just like my friend did, which he was a great man of God... But he married the wrong woman. And when he married this woman and she got him out of church, it took ten years of no fruit. In other words, the Lord came every year and looked at his fruit. And I can just see him now and say, hmm, you didn't produce no fruit last year. Well, I'll give you one, another year. Well, next year he comes back and he looks and says, hmm, your fruit box is still pretty empty. You ain't producing no fruit. Finally... After 10 years, he says, cut him off. Cut him off. Scary, isn't it? I mean, it's really scary. But see, we read these things, but we don't believe God would do something like that to us. But he will. He will. So that ought to cause us to want to produce fruit for the kingdom. That is, if you want to live, you know. So that... Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, so anyway, if... Uh
if, if you don't bear fruit, right here he's telling us in his word that if you do not bear fruit, he says he will cut down your tree. That's what he's saying right there. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want my tree cut down. Do you? I'm not ready to go home. I'm no hurry to go home. I'm enjoying living right now, aren't you, Frank? Amen. Amen. I enjoy living. <laughs> Eldon, I know he enjoys living. He comes out and works with me once in a while. We just have all kinds of fun, don't we? Praise the Lord. Yes, we do. Okay, let's go to from Luke 13. Let's go to Luke 14 and verse uh, 16. Luke 14, 16. And let's see what he has to say there. Luke fourteen sixteen it says, Then said he unto them, A certain man made a great supper, and he invited many. And he sent his servants he sent his servants out <clears throat> and to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. In other words, the supper has been served. And they all went uh, they went out and they began to make excuses. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground. In other words, I bought me a new farm. And I've got to go check it out. So I can't, I can't come. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I've got to go prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife. So I can't come either. I can't come to this meeting. I've got to go be with my wife. Then the master of the house was angry. Because nobody would come. And he said to his servants, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the blind and anybody that will come. Go out and get them and bring them in. And the servant said, Lord, it is done. We went out and got all those, but he said, still there is room. Still there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. None of them. And there were a great multitude with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? What does your translation read there? What does hate not mean? Huh? Amen. In other words... What he's trying to say there, you've got to love God more than you love everybody else. That is what he's trying to say. I mean, you can love your mother and your father, and you're commanded, in fact, to love your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, and all those. 
But he said, you got to put me first. Now then, have we read that somewhere in the Ten Commandments that you must put God first? Which commandment is that? The very first one. In other words, he put the most important thing first. He said, you must love me, number one. And if you don't, you're in trouble. Did he say that? Did he really say that? Did he say that you must love me first? So then why does not everybody do that? Yeah, I mean, I know, I don't know very, I guess I don't know any Christians, including myself, that really put him first 100% of the time. I mean, can anybody in here say they put God first in everything they do every day, 24-7? I don't either. I try to, but I know I miss the, you know, I miss. <laughs> do you do that too, Terry? Every once in a while you miss it too, huh? I mean, we try, and I'm glad God's merciful, because if He wasn't, uh, we wouldn't be here, would we? Now, because we try to put Him first, but we don't. But the more we put Him first, I mean, I think about, I think about some of, one of the men especially that was one of the greatest evangelists that I know. Somebody asked him, what is the longest time he ever prayed? And he said, oh, half hour. As I said, you never prayed more than a half hour at any one time? He said, no. But he said, I never go more than a half hour without praying. I, I, I miss that big time. You do that too, Eldon? I mean, sometimes we go a whole lot more than 30 minutes without praying, don't we? Unfortunately, we do. But this man didn't. He prayed, and he prayed a lot. And one of the things I thought was strange about him, he always had his Bible in his shirt pocket, and he'd sit down to eat, and before they'd eat, he'd open it up and read the Word. And then he'd lay the Bible down, they'd eat a little bit after he prayed, and he'd pick up the Word and say, stop, everybody stop. And they said that there's been times he'd walk in a restaurant, big restaurant, and of course, in the area where he lived, everybody knew him as the greatest evangelist around. He walked in a restaurant. He says, did anybody in this place bless this food for you bunch of pigs went to eating? I said, everybody would just stop and bow their head. And he'd bless all the food that he'd walk on in the restaurant. <laughs> Nobody would ever say a word to him. They said he was just really pretty coarse and tough. You know, walk in a restaurant and call everybody a bunch of pigs. <laughs> anybody here bless this food for you went to eating? You bunch of pigs? And he said they would just stop bow their head. And he'd pray. But when he spoke, things happened. I mean, miracles happened. God showed up for this man. And he really met the criteria, I think, pretty close of the first commandment of putting God first in everything. But that's the number one commandment. And when we don't do that, if you don't put God first, you know, I don't know where the breaking point is with God. Only he knows that. But if we go past that point of not putting him first, then what happens to you will be what will happen here, that he'll cut you off or he'll cut your tree down, you know, and bring you home. In other words, if you're not being fruitful for the kingdom, just like this friend of mine. This friend of mine, he had stopped being fruitful. And, of course, that when I asked him, asked the Lord that day on the way home after the funeral, I said, Lord, I want to know where I messed up. What did I do wrong? And, of course, the Lord 
spoke to me finally, but it took a couple, two and a half or so, three hours before he finally spoke to me. But he finally said, son, the problem is not yours. So the problem was his. And he said, the answer to your question is in John 15, 2. Well, I turned to John 15, 2 because I didn't have it committed to memory. And I found out right there the Lord says that we, he is the vine and we're the branches. And every branch in him that produces no fruit for his kingdom, he cuts you off. So, if you want to die early, all you got to do is stop producing fruit for the kingdom. And at 40 or 50 years of age, you can die. You know, no problem. You come down with something. My friend came down with brain tumors. And brain tumors had come because he had failed the number one commandment. He had not put God first. So, God was merciful because his mercy is new every morning, praise God. But after 10 years, even the king got angry with him. And he cut him off. So, but he tells us he'll do it. We just don't believe it. And he didn't just tell it one time. He tells us over and over and over. And then he says here, that all these people had made excuses and said the king, being angry, said to his servants, go all out into the streets and all these things. And then he says, if any man comes to me and does not and hate not or does not love less his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister and yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So who you got to love first? God. God. Pretty clear, isn't it? He's just, I mean, he's just a little bit of a stickler on that. We got to love him more than anybody else, right? And he doesn't get excited if we don't. He just allows us to be cut off. That's not exactly what I want to do right now. Is you, Brenda? No, I want to, I want to praise the king. I'm having so much fun living. I don't want to die right now, Frank. I want to go, I want to continue to live and have fun and serve Jesus. Amen. Isn't that right? Amen. Amen. You know, one of these days when I get to be a couple of hundred years old or something, maybe, you know, I don't know. We'll see how it goes when I get there. <laughs> but right now I'm having so much fun. I love serving the king. Uh, Luke 14. Let's see, where were we there? That was, uh, that was Luke 14, 16. Okay. Let's go to... Yeah, let's go to Luke fourteen thirty three. And when the Living Bible translation, that verse we read a while ago, it says, Anyone who wants to be my follower must love me far more then he is, does his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, and even more than his own life. Otherwise, he cannot be my disciple. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Sure You've got to love him first. Okay. So, Luke fourteen thirty three says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's pretty, I mean, the king, he says, forsake how much, David? He couldn't possibly mean that. You think he means that? Isn't that something? <laughs> we must, well, what does he expect of us? What does he want us to do? 
forsake all, right? And put him first. Goodness gracious, he's just a, uh, he's just a little bit tough there, isn't he? I mean, but whosoever be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. I mean, that's kind of like getting married to a woman. She expects you to give up all of your other girlfriends when you get married to her. I can't imagine a woman being that narrow-minded, can you? That's almost like the guy when he marries, expects her to give up all of her past boyfriends, doesn't he? I can't imagine him being so narrow-minded, you know. But unfortunately, that's the way we are, isn't it? That's the way we are, you know. And that's the closest thing I can come to as a parallel between us and God, and God expects us to put Him first. He don't expect to share us with no one. He expects to put us first. And today, I, th- I believe that this breaking of this number one commandment is a close runner-up of number one of why so many Christians are sick. Because I don't think we even come close to putting God first. But most Christians never dream that he means what he says here. You know, if you don't put me first, I'll cut you off, young lady. Lord, you couldn't possibly do this to me. He said, oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he will. He, he definitely does. We, don't, we just don't see this side of God. We think he's an old loving fuddy-duddy up yonder in heaven. That's, you know, that's kind of watching over us, but he don't mind if we do anything we want to do. We can just do what we want to do, and he's still going to love us, and we're still going to be blessed. But I don't see that in the Scripture. I don't see that nowhere in the Scripture. Do you? No. It's just quite the contrary. But how many people in church today that if you see them, I mean, how many people... Or definitely that you know that's not even coming close to making God number one in their life. Especially us guys. How many of us guys, when we go to work on Monday morning, I mean, we're diligent to get in there and do something. You know, we're businessmen or whatever we are doing. We're busy and we're all about work. And who's got time for God? I mean, do you know any men like that? Oh, I know a lot of them. I was one for a little while. But then I realized, hey, this ain't working very well. I need to put God first. And when I started putting Him first, my whole business world changed. When I started making God number one in my business, my business world changed. Yours did too, didn't it, David? Amen. Praise the Lord. I can't think of a better partner, can you? None. There ain't no better partner than Jesus. So when you worship Him and praise Him and put Him first, He can make anything fly, can't He? Like that deal I was in the pilot shop the other day, get some little stuff, and uh, I looked up and there's a sign that says, God is my co-pilot. I looked up there and told the lady, I said, I don't want Him as my co-pilot. She said, what? I said, I want Him as my captain. I want to be the co-pilot. I let Him be the captain. Praise God. You know, I don't want God as a co-pilot. I, w- I don't want to be in control. I want the king in control. And so, and I, I, she said, well, I never looked at it like that. I said, well, I definitely don't want him as my co-pilot. I want him to be in control or in charge of this machine. That's for sure. Then he says, in uh, verse 34, it says, salt is good. 
But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. But men cast it out, and he that has an ear to hear, let him hear. Have we got an ear to hear? Are we hearing? What's he trying to tell us? Love him and serve him, right? And he's getting his point across, isn't he? He's getting it across to me. Okay, let's go to John eight thirty. John eight thirty. This John, this book of John, it's a book of love. It's great. John eight thirty. And he spoke these words. As he spoke these words, many believed on him. Many. Then Jesus, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now he's talking only to the ones that believed on him. Not to everybody. Is this what he says? He's talking only to those that believe him. A lot of people think Jesus is talking to everybody. But his words is for the believer. The ones that really, truly believe in him. It says, he said, Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, if, now he's talking to believers, and he starts out with if. One time I done a look up on my computer about how many times the word if was in there, and it was in there so many hundred times, I said, I said, wow, I just couldn't believe how many times the word if he used that word. If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. If you continue in my word. So what should we be doing as Christians? We should be in the word. We should be reading the word on a regular basis. We should be studying the word regularly. I can think of the hours that I would go home and stay home and read the word when somebody might say, would you come over and help me do this tonight? And I said, no, I've got to study tonight. What are you going to study? The Word. Oh, Thurman, you can do that next week. Come on over and help me do this. I said, no, I'm going to study the Word. Whereas it's kind of like when I uh, went back to school after I got out of uh, the military and went back to school. Some of the men up there wanted me to go out and run around with them at night and go places and do things. And I said, no way. I'm, when I do have a few spare minutes, I'm going to spend it studying because I want to master these subjects. I don't want to just pass. I want to master these subjects. Well, some of those guys that went out drinking and carousing and running around, they didn't even pass. They flunked. So I definitely didn't want to be with those. But Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. What if you don't continue in his word? Obviously, you're not his disciple. But he said, if you are my disciple, you will study my word. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. How are you going to learn the truth? In the word. That's where it's at. It's not out there watching television or watching soap operas or listening to the radio. It's only in the Word. Then he says, And they answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest you shall be made free? How I many of these guys, have I ever seen anybody was in bondage as these guys? You know, And Jesus answered him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever commit a sin is the servant of sin. Whosoever commit a sin 
man, we don't want to hear this. You know, if I am uh, going out sinning, just like the, here, here within the last year, a young man walked up here at prayer time, and he said, uh, I need you to pray for me. I said, what's wrong with you? He said, I have a venereal disease. I said, so you've been playing out the bars and with the whores, haven't you? And he said, unfortunately, I did. I said, you were living in sin, and it caught up with you. Now then, if God wasn't a merciful and gracious God, what's going to happen to that boy? Who knows? But he's going to have to have faith, great faith. He's going to have to repent and have great faith to get over that sickness. Now then, if he can develop that great faith and he can repent and make God a promise and say, Lord, I will serve you, I will love you, I will put you first. Will the king be merciful and healing? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. But why go through that? Why go through that? Why take a chance? You know, why live in the world? Why go out there and take a chance on, on getting these kind of diseases and sickness and stuff? Don't go out and play with the devil's world. Amen. The Lord says, Whosoever, in John 30, in 8.34, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. I don't want to be the servant of sin, do you? And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. What does he mean? And the servant abideth not in the house forever. Can you be in the house and then be out of the house? Obviously you can. What, what do you think it would be if you said you were a Christian and you were committed to sin and you sinned a whole lot and you had been a Christian walking in obedience to God's word... And you're in the house. And one day you decide to start sinning. He says you're now of the devil. And you turn your back on God. Somebody says, but you know he got saved, so once saved, always saved. Well, I'm going to tell you that when I look at all these different things we're talking about, I'm not sure that once saved, always saved is a reality with the exception. I can guarantee you this. If you really get saved and you stay in the Word and be obedient to what He said, you're always saved. Amen. You'll always stay in the house, right? right? You won't ever have to be worried about being kicked out of the house. Glory. You know? So, I mean, I have seen parents. Unfortunately, it happens. Sometimes you get a daughter or a son that become unruly. I mean, they're living at your house and they get completely unruly. And have you ever heard of a mother and a father that kicked their children out of the house? Yeah. yeah, I have too. I have too. Sometimes they have to get out there in the world, you know, to, to realize what's going on. And I know you deal with them all the time. Every day. Yeah, they're out there, those kids that were unruly and those that were never made to obey and when you come along with your power and authority, you make them obey. They don't like it, do they? No, they don't. But you have got a badge and a gun that will make them obey. 
You know, and unfortunately, I mean, you know, you risk your life lots of times in a day chasing people around here in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And I know you've had some tremendous testimonies about how you have prayed and stopped people. You know, how you've seen God intervene. And in fact, one of the ones I remember he was telling me one time, this guy was wild and running like crazy. And he finally had chased him, I don't know how far, and he finally said, Lord... Do something to stop that man, stop him, run him under a truck or whatever he said. Do something to stop his car before he kills somebody. Lord, please do it. Send an angel or whatever, however he prayed. And in a matter of just, a, what, a minute or two? Less than a minute. The guy run right under, around the corner and under the back of a truck and stopped him dead still. And he was able to go up there and subdue him then and get him and everything. <laughs> See, by praying and asking God to help you when God is your captain... Riding with you, and you can know that you have those angels, and God's on your side. You can pray and ask Him to intercede, and He does, doesn't He? Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I tell you what, a police officer today that doesn't know Jesus as his Lord and Savior is in dangerous ground, isn't he? Every day they risk their life, and but it makes a big difference. Regardless of what profession we're in, we need to know the King. And we need to have him as our captain or as our driver or whatever. And when we do, it definitely makes life better. But he says, if you, if you, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. So if you stay a son and you walk in obedience to God's word, you will be in the house forever. Like I say, I can guarantee anybody eternal salvation. All you got to do is accept Jesus and walk in obedience to His Word and love Him and serve Him, and you have eternal salvation, don't you? Absolutely. It's no big deal. All you got to do is be an obedient son or daughter, and there's no problem then. He says, Therefore, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And I love being free. Now, I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my words, my word hath no place in you. My word has no place in you. Now, these people are the leaders of the church that Jesus is talking to. These are the leaders of the church. It's not just anybody on the street he's talking to. These are the leaders. He says, I speak that... <clears throat> I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. Oh, he's really fixing to get technical here. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me. A man... That has told you the truth. I'm telling you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. This did to Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why 
Do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my words? You are of your father, the devil. Man, he told it just like it is. How would you like for God to, himself to speak to you and tell you your father's the devil? I, if he's going to have to do that to me, I'd want him to tell it to me before I died. Because at least I'd want a chance to repent and come into the kingdom. Because if you die and your father's the devil, there's no hope. You know, you're going to go to this awful place that we talk about called hell. Wow, you are your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and he is the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convicted me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. I mean, this is, I mean, this is pretty straightforward, isn't it? He is saying that, and today it never ceases to amaze me that some of the people that hear my teachings in other churches... When they do invite me to speak, sometimes after they've heard more of my stuff, they either email me or call me and says, Thurman, <laughs> you need to tone it down a little. I heard one of your CDs where you talked about this, and you could greatly offend some of my people if you talk about this. Well, will you please not talk about that at my church? Well, I mean, all I'm doing is telling you what God said, but we don't want to hear it. But have we changed much? No, they didn't want to hear it when Jesus said it too. It's, it's amazing. You know, I was so awestruck here a while back when one of the biggest preachers in the nation said on the Larry King live show that he didn't talk about sin in his church. Yeah, you know what I'm, who I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, yeah, don't want to offend anybody, so he don't talk about sin in his church. But he has one of the biggest churches in America. But he don't talk about sin. And he said that on the Larry King live show. And Larry King asked him point blank, do you think a Muslim is going to go to hell? And he said, well, I don't talk about those kind of things. I'm a positive motivational speaker, and I don't talk about that. I don't talk about hell in my church. And he has one of the biggest churches in America. I mean to tell you, my bubble was totally busted. You know, I thought he was a great preacher. He is a good motivational speaker. But that's why he has a humongous church. is because he makes everybody feel good. Everybody. And he don't want to offend nobody. But I've come to realize that... In fact, let me tell you something. There was a man came to this church here a while back. And he had graduated from seminary in this area. And then he tried to make it in a church as a pastor for a few years and didn't make it. And he went to truck driving. So as he was driving a truck, he started reading and studying the Word more. And as he was reading and studying, he began to come up on all these things. And so one day he got with God and he said, Lord, 
he's praying. He says, Lord, is there anybody in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex that really believes your word like you wrote it? And you know what the man told me when he came over here? He said, the Lord spoke your name to me. He said, Thurman Scrivener believes it just like it's written. And he said, I thought Thurman Scrivener. Who is Thurman Scrivener? He said, I've never heard of you. And said, before that day was over, God spoke your name to me three times and told me. said, now, my word, I have a servant that believes it just like it's written. And said, his name's Thurman Scrivener. So he said, I didn't have a clue who you were. I never heard of you. So he said, about a week later, a person walked up to me and said, you've got to listen to this CD. And handed it to And I looked down and it says, Thurman Scrivener. He said, man, am I ever going to listen to that? So he did. And he came over here and he got a whole bunch of my stuff. And, of course, uh, I went with him once and prayed for a man. And the guy was miraculously healed. The Lord healed his boss. We all went over there one evening after church. But I thought, what an humbling statement for a man to ask. And he said, my name to him three times. I thought, oh, God. Lord, I'm grateful that I teach the Word just like it's written. Word by word, line by line. And if, if you don't say it, then I don't believe it. Because Paul said in the Word, don't go beyond what's written. But, you know, believe what is written. And so that's what we try to do. He says here, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because you are not of God. So if you, if you hear the Word and you read it, you're supposed to do what it says. You're supposed to do what God's Word says. It's a good thing He's merciful and gracious. Because if it wasn't, if the first time we messed up and He reached down with that big flask water and got us, we'd all be dead. Every one of us in here, there's not a single one would be here. Would we, brother? I mean, we'd, we know it's over. The Wait just a minute. Let me get you a mic so we can't hear this. You've got a question you've never seen. Hold on just a second, Dean. I'm a little perplexed. I've never noticed before that he's talking to those who believed in him. Now, they're talking about killing him. Now, how can anybody be a believer in Jesus and be out wanting to kill him? That to me, makes no sense. I thought it was always the Pharisees who hated him and were jealous. And now you're right. It does say twice that they're the ones that believe. Okay. I'm kind of lost in the comprehension of this. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. Could you yeah. comment on that, please? Well, they say, they say they believed. You know, and he said they believed. But obviously, they don't believe all of it. You know, in other words, how many people do you know that come to church that say they don't believe in God? How many people come to church and say they believe in God? I mean, if we were to go down I don't, any church we go to, I mean, we could go in any church and take the people and do a poll as we go out the door, they come in the door. Do you believe in God? What do you think they'd say? Of course, that's why I come to church. Yes. Yes. And then, yeah, well, do you believe in Jesus? Well, yeah, most of them would say yes. Now, is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? And the majority of them would say yes. But they come to church and they hear His words and He tells us what to do. And how many of them go out that week and obey what He said? Not a lot of them. But they all said they believed in Jesus. You know, you ever see a Christian that said they believe and go out this week and do something that's totally contrary to the Word of God? And they knew they were doing something wrong? Sure. Every day we see it. 
We see, in fact, let's put it this way, probably some of us do the same dumb things. Huh? Not intentionally, but we still do them, right? Yes, we do. You know, we do the same dumb things because we're humans. We forget who we are. And that devil, he blinds our minds and we can step off in a tangent in a heartbeat. You know, you can, I don't know anybody that hasn't messed up. I don't know a single one. Not any. I ain't never met him or her. Yet. Except Jesus. He's the only one. Question, David? Uh, my translation on uh, John 8, verse uh, 37 says, I know that you are descendants of Abraham, but you are trying to kill me because my word has no room among you. Uh, I interpret that to mean that if you push my word out of you, you are doing the same thing as if you are killing me. After all, I am the word made flesh, and if you reject my word, you're rejecting me, you're killing me, just like when we hate, we're guilty of murder, etc. That sort of thing. So I really don't see a conflict there. I just see that it's, it's our rejection of Jesus is manifest in our rejection of his word. Amen. Amen. I'm in a complete agreement with that statement. Yeah. We, we definitely drive his word out of us. In fact, you know, Paul, the way he talks over there in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he's talking about when we take the Lord's Supper, many of us discern the body incorrectly. We don't know that he's the Savior. We know he's the Savior. We don't know he's a healer. I've even had pastors tell me that there's no healing in that. But he was the healer. He is and was. Now then, for everybody that's in this room that has been miraculously healed, <laughs> you know, the, you can't tell them no more, right? I mean, for everybody that has received a wonderful healing from Jesus, I mean, especially a miraculous healing from Jesus, I mean, or your children have been miraculously healed by the Lord, or you've been miraculously healed by the Lord, there ain't nobody can tell you that Jesus is not the healer. You know, but uh, so many people will not believe that. They will not believe it. Or they will say they believe that, but their actions don't enforce it. Well, I, I know Jesus can heal me if it's His will, you know, but I'm not sure. So I'm going to go ahead and have my surgery, you know, this week. You know, if God wants to, between now and Thursday, you know, He's got till Thursday. If He don't heal me by Thursday, I know it's not His will. I'm going to go ahead and go to the... And unfortunately, that's where some of us live. You know, I guess maybe all of us live there to a degree about some things. You know, because it takes faith to get things done, and it takes great faith to get other things done. It takes great, great faith to get other things done. And, I mean, I think about how many things I've seen God do, but yet I... Never seen a cerebral palsy person healed when I prayed for them. So obviously, the faith that it takes to make that happen, I've not obtained that. But yet Stephen, he had a man of the full of the Holy Ghost and power with great faith, prayed for and rebuked the devil, and the palsy were healed. He had the faith. Obviously, I am not there. But I don't know very many people that are. I don't know anybody alive today on the face of the earth that's getting the palsy healed right now. I don't know. I remember one day I was down here in Dallas 
when Benny Hinn was here, and they had a whole front row of these poor little crippled children in their wheelchairs up on the front. And I remember seeing Benny Hinn come down in front of these children, and I saw him cry, and I saw him plead, God, if anything I can do, Lord, to get you to heal these precious babies, I will do it. He was pouring out his heart. But God didn't move. None of them babies got healed. Benny was telling me, Lord, I'll do anything if you'll heal these babies. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it. Who is the healer? Benny Hinn's not the healer. And he knows that. He knows he's not the healer. He knows it's God. But somehow, we have to do what is necessary to touch the hand of the king to get him to move to do those kind of things to those children. Now, he gave us the answer. And what is it? Fasting and prayer. And how long do you have to go do it? <laughs> I don't know how long. 18 and a half days is the longest I've ever went. She didn't really go do it. It's yeah. That's not really going to do it. I was that's, there. that's why I'm not there. I was there. You know? Yeah. You know, you know what it is to take. It's a challenge. It is a challenge to get there. You know, and it's hard, you know, and I mean, I remember and some of the times, you know, that I, in fact, I've, I've even went to this point a couple of times in my walk with the Lord. I've got so upset with the people and what they do to me and some of the things I, I've got so upset. I say, okay, phooey. I mean, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to close the ministry. I ain't going no further. I'm fed up working with all these people that won't believe. You know, I mean, I've really, I've let the devil get through to me and I've just, I've said, hey, I'm ready to quit. No, these people won't believe. You know, and I get all upset and I lose three or four cases and then they call me and read me the riot act, you know, because it was my fault because their little baby died or whatever and all the stuff. And I think, I just, God, I'm just going to quit. And then somebody walk in my office, Thurman, look at these ten praise reports we got this morning. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. You're still on the throne. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. We're getting so upset. You know, I mean, but y'all got to understand. You got to understand that when you spend hours day and night on the phone and calling people and going places and praying for people, and you see all these wonderful praise reports, but whenever you lose two or three of them, and they point your finger in your face and say, it's your fault my baby died. You know, I mean, they do that to me. Hey, it wasn't my fault your kid's sick. You know, I didn't have nothing to do with it. You know, I didn't raise a little critter. I wasn't the one out there living in sin when you brought the little critter into the world. It wasn't my fault. I was doing everything I could to try to get him healed. And we get a lot of them healed. But we don't get them all healed, do we, Elvin? There's some of them we don't get healed. Now, we're not the healer. When you get a hold of the fact, hey, it's the king that's doing it, not you. And he knows everything. You know, and so, what, honey? I want to talk. I want to be documented. Oh, okay. okay. This is a documentation here. Uh, The reason why these people lose their children is because they believe man and not God. The reason why the people don't get healed is the same reason. Yeah. So, and... Some of those people call and say, I know if you pray for me, I will be healed. Well... At least they put their faith in me instead of God. Yeah, well, that's not the answer, but 
But a while ago, what you said about prayer and fasting, I think, is the answer. And I think what you ought to do is is loan your church to somebody else for 40 days and you take off. And I'm sure all these people here would be happy to see the first cerebral palsy person healed. Well, I will have to say, now, I will have to say that... Uh, oh, you got something you want to say too, Elder? I don't talk much. I want to say something. Oh, okay, so, praise the Lord. Uh, doesn't uh, generational curses fit into this picture too about, you know, you talk about not healing all the babies and then they blame you? Well, they're not thinking about the generational curses and all that, like uh, Deuteronomy 28 and all that. See, it, it's their family. Oh, yeah. It's, it's not. not yours. Oh, no, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I know that. And, uh, and, and I don't have a whole lot of these. I have a few of them. You know, but not a whole lot. You know, but you know, you don't. You, when you spend all the hours we spend and the study and the time and the money we invest and and everything, and then I guess whenever I'm up uh, 20 hours a day for a week or two at a time, you know, that I kind of get to a point where it's not quite so tough to push me off the edge. Y'all know where I'm coming from. Have you? You know, when you get stressed out like that, you can you can you're so tired and you're walking right on the edge, and somebody just run up and hit you and just knock you right over the edge. You know, whereas if you're getting eight hours of sleep every night, you know, and and you're taking a day off once a week, at least you're you're, you're strong, you know, and you're solid. You, and it takes three men to shove you off that cliff then. But you know, when you're wore out and you're already staggering, so all somebody got to do is just lean on you a little, and bam, you're over the cliff. And, and that happens to me every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, sure it is. I know. And he knows exactly where I am. He knows where he's pushed me and everything. So, But anyway, Jesus had this same problem with these people. And then, <clears throat> as we go on down in John, we see here something. <laughs> in verse uh, 48... Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Now they're saying Jesus is a Samaritan and he has a demon in him. Or he's a devil. So if they say those things about the king, (laughs) what do you think they're going to say about us? I mean, here they're calling the king a devil. Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my Father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory, but there is one that seeketh, and he judges. Truly, truly, now this verse right here, 51, is one that nobody believes. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if, now there's that great big if, If a man keeps my sayings, he shall never see death. I don't know anybody that believes that today. (laughs) If he put it in the Word, you believe it, right, Elder? But how many people go around saying, well, when I die? I mean, it's amazing how that Somebody said, well, it is appointed unto man wants to die. Hebrews 9. He did say, it is appointed unto man wants to die. But you know, I have not studied it out in detail yet, but I'm going to. I believe right there he's talking about the lost man. It is appointed unto the lost man to die. 
But I don't believe it was appointed unto the Christian men and women to die. We're supposed to live till the king gets ready to translate us out of here, and we ain't supposed to die. But you talk to somebody about that and say, well, now, Thurman, if you're talking about divine health, then how are you ever going to die? You You know you got to be sick to die? No, you don't have to be sick to die. I mean, you can be a ball of fire and be 90 years old or 110 years old and going and blowing and casting out demons and healing the sick and jumping up and down on the seats. And all of a sudden, Jesus said, That's it, son. Bam! I'm translating you out and bringing you to heaven. Hallelujah. Hey! I don't know about you, but that's the way I want to go to house. I don't want that devil to come up with me and put sickness and disease upon me and all that junk, do you? No! The king designed you and me to live in divine health. Especially after he came back and he destroyed the works of the devil and gave you the power now. He bore your sickness, removed your disease, and he said, If you will keep all of my sayings and believe me, you shall never die. So, if he... I mean, what do you think... The devil, John 10, 10, and the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and have it... What? More abundantly. So does abundant life include sickness and disease? Not in my book. Ain't no abundant life in sickness and disease. It ain't abundant life when you and all your kids are sick, right, Frank? That ain't abundant life. Abundant life when you got money in the bank, you run out there and get in your car or your van, take them kids and your wife on vacation, have a good time and have money left when you get back. That's abundant life, right? Yeah. That's the abundant life Christ has provided for us as His children. But look at this awesome statement. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, if, biggest word in the Bible, If a man keeps my sayings, he shall never see death. So why in the world do we go around talking death and destruction all the time? I ain't going to do it. Are you? No. Somebody asked me, how are you doing today? I said, magnificently wonderful, but I'm rapidly improving. Lots of people used to laugh at work. They got to where they wouldn't ask me how I was doing. Because they knew. I was going to say, hey, I am absolutely wonderful, but I'm rapidly improving. I like living there. That's the abundant life. I mean, after all, if the king come to give me life and give it to me abundantly, why would I want to be sick and afflicted or live in sin? You know, I don't know about you. That's a hard one, isn't it? That's a hard saying, but it's in there two places. But remember, he did put the if in front of it. If a man keeps my sayings. What is the sayings he's talking about? The Ten Commandments. You keep the Ten Commandments. And how, do we, how did Jesus sum all the Ten Commandments up into just two little statements? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And in this, all of the law and the prophets are fulfilled. If you can walk in that. Now, you know anybody can walk in that kind of love 24-7? Have you obtained it yet? Yeah, I've obtained it. Sure I have. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying, though, aren't we? We are trying. 
Yes, we are trying. Because the king says, if you keep my commandments, you'll never see death. So, if you can do everything he says, walk in the God kind of love, you can walk in divine health, and one day when you get to be whatever, he said, I will also satisfy you with long life. So, what is that? I don't know yet. I hadn't reached it yet. So, I want to get to that point where maybe one day I might say, well, Lord, I'm 120 or 150 or whatever now. And I'm kind of tired of putting up with the nonsense down here. Why don't you just go ahead and bring me home? You know, we've been out casting out devils, healing the sick, getting the thousands saved. We're doing all these things. We feel like we have produced some fruit for your kingdom. So now then, Lord, we're ready to come to the house. And he said, okay, good deal. He just jerks you right out of that flesh and that old body falls down dead. And somebody said, look at that body, still perfectly good, healthy, ain't nothing wrong with that thing. And yet it's dead. Well, when the soul and the spirit leaves it, it's dead. Because without the spirit, it can't live. So, but just think, it's written in the word. I didn't, it's not my saying, it's Jesus saying, and verily, verily means truly, truly. I say unto you, If a man keeps my sayings, he shall never see death. Now, you'll have people argue with you everywhere in the world what he's talking about there. But I'm telling you, he means exactly what he says. Don't have to, you know, guess at it. He just said, if you keep my sayings, you won't die. That's what he's saying. Now, when God made man, did he make man and tell him he was going to live forever? Yeah. He wasn't going to die. Never. He told him, if you disobey me, you will die. And he did. He died spiritually instantly, and it took the first man a thousand years almost to die physically. He lived nearly a thousand years. All of them did. Wasn't nothing uncommon for him to live five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred years. That was common back in that first group. But today, we have, we speak the wrong words, all of us, from day one. I mean, I can still hear my mother, as good a Christian woman as she was, Son, don't go running out to that mailbox in that damp grass. You're going to catch your death of cold. You ever heard your mother say, or you ever said that? Sure. I mean, I've heard it, no telling how many times in my life. And that's right. We can tell them and tell them. And, and oh, well, after all, they're only words. You hear people say that too. You know, they couldn't be no power in words. Well, if you read the book, you find out that's not true. There is definitely power in words. Oh, sure. I mean, your words. Jesus says, by your words, you will be justified, or by your words, you will be condemned. So if you're speaking words of faith, hey, you can walk in divine health. But just like being saved. It took faith for you to get saved. Now then, after that, it technically doesn't take any faith to get anything else done. It's a lack of knowledge of the Word. Or believing what is written with no doubt in your heart. Believing. If you believe it's done, when you receive Jesus as your Savior, then you should go out and tell everybody, Hey, I'm born again. I'm a child of God. Well, why are... What makes you think you're saved? Well, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Well, they said, did you see God? When No. Did you see an angel? No. Did you hear any whistles? No. Did you hear any bells? No. Well, then how do you know you're saved? It's written in the book. 
You mean you're going to believe what's written in that old book? Man wrote that old book. And you know that old book's full of flaws. Have you ever heard anybody say that to you? Of course. But see, when you studied the Word, you know that, yes, man did write the book, but you know that it, men penned it as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And so there is no flaws. You know, so I used to not know those things. So when somebody would come to me and say, oh, you believe that old book? I said, I sure do, every word of it. Well, you know, that old book's got lots of contradictions in it. I say, show me one. Show me one. And you know, I have never found a man yet that could show me a flaw or a contradiction in the Word of God. Some of the things he thinks, I can prove him wrong. I can prove him wrong. So, the first thing you've got to do is know the Word. Just like when somebody comes to you, and I, they come by my house every once in a while. They haven't been a while, but they used to come by regular. A group of people that tells you there is no hell. You know? You know who those are, don't you? Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness believe there is no hell. Well, you can take their Bible. Most of them carry a King James Bible. Some of them carry the New World Translation, but you can take the King James, and if you know anything about the Bible, you can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt they're wrong. And I don't understand why they can't hear it. I don't understand why they don't see it. But obviously their eyes must be partially blinded when they read the book. But you know, I think our minds are partially blinded because I had a man and his wife in the ministry center today and he said, until we heard about you, I, we used to go to church. And he said, some of the promises that you quote, I'd go to my Bible. And I said, couldn't say that. And he said, I'd turn over to work and sit there. I had it highlighted and underlined. But he thought, wow, it does say that. wonder why I highlighted and underlined that. Then he thought, then he said, you got to stand on those promises by faith. And he said, you know, I had all kinds of things wrong with me. But I started standing on God's Word, and He said, I'm telling you today, I set before you a completely, totally healed man with no problems in my flesh. Hey, so He brought His daughter and His granddaughter to get His granddaughter healed. Or He brought His wife, too. They all come. But she said the same thing, the grandmother and the grandfather. The grandmother also said, you know, I used to have all kinds of problems until I realized that God made me a promise. I could stand on these things, and I could get divine health. And so he said, both of us now are walking in divine health. Hey, I love those kind of praise reports. You know, when people come, I love it. And that's why I keep doing what I'm doing. Because even though the one, just like Jesus, did Jesus give up when they called him a devil? No, he didn't give up either. He just kept on going. You and I are going to have to do the same thing. Then he says, in in the verse... uh, 55, yet you have not known me, you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like you are. But I know him, and I keep his sayings. That would be a little tough if you were to have to tell somebody, I would be a liar like you are. They don't want to hear that, do they? Now look what they say. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, 
But if any man be a worshiper of God and doth his will, him he heareth. Is that a true statement? John 9.31. Oh, I, I forgot to tell you. I went to a new place. Okay. I moved to John 9.31. In John 9.31, it says, Now we know, we're talking about God hearing and answering. It says, John 9.31 says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. Now see, this is a statement the Sadducees and Pharisees are making. They know that God doesn't hear a sinner. So when you sin and you have not repented, are you a sinner? Yes, you are. So what do you just do? Cut yourself off from God. He don't hear you until you repent. You've got to come and repent and get right with Him. And when you do, then He will hear you. Because He says here in John 9, 31, and these Pharisees and Sadducees, He said, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth His will, him he hears. So what do you got to be? A worshiper of God. And you've got to be about his business, doing his will, right? So if you'll do that, then the Lord will hear you and answer your prayer. No question. Yeah, okay. Now, this is Jesus talking to them before he was crucified. Oh, yeah. And so now, though, that since Christ has been crucified and he is our high priest, then he hears our prayers and then he intercedes to God, right? Mm-hmm. So even if, if we're sinning, because he's our Savior, he's still in contact with us. Well, because we would be repenting to him. Well, he's in contact with us, we're in contact with him, but you still have to repent of that sin. Right. Yeah. Now, if you repent of that sin, then his blood, what happens is, if you come and ask the Father in the name of Jesus to forgive you for whatever sin you've committed. Now, if you don't, if you don't ask the Lord to forgive you of that sin, he's still not going to. That, that prayer is still not going to be answered. It's still the same. I mean, I've seen multitudes of people, multitudes of people that were Christians that had been in church and everything else, and they prayed. And I mean, I, mean I, can just, I can just name several that come to this church on a regular basis that had, had supposedly back in church and been prayed for dozens of times or multitudes of times, and nothing ever happened. And then... They came, and I told them, I said, well, it's just like, well, Jan the other day. She's give her testimony, so I'll just say Jan the other day when she came up and for, at a healing school, and I said, what's wrong with you? And she said, well, about 15 years ago, I lost feeling from my elbows to my fingertips in both arms. And she would prayed about it. The other people prayed for it and everything. And I asked her the simple question. I said, what sin did you commit just before that happened? And immediately the Holy Spirit convicted her, and she thought, she said, oh, my goodness. And I said, I don't want to know what it was. Don't tell me. But you've got to repent to God. And so she said, Lord, I'm so sorry I did that. I didn't realize that's what caused me to lose the feeling in my arms. But she said, Lord, I repent, and I promise you I'll never do that again. I just reached up and laid my hands on her. I said, now then, you devil of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. I said, and be healed in Jesus' name. And she said, I said, thank you, Lord, for healing her. And she said, that's all there is to it. 
I said, that's all there is. She said, you ain't going to push me down or nothing? I said, no, ma'am, I don't do that. That's not something I do. And so she said, well, okay. And so she, I didn't feel a thing. I said, I didn't either. No big deal. So she gets up and walks back to the chair and reached down and picked up her purse. And for the first time in 15 years, she felt the handle of her purse. And then she got with the other hand and she could feel it. So then she said, Lord, I repent for my sin of unbelief of praying and asking you to give me lupus. Now, see, she had gone to the doctor on Friday, come to the healing school on Saturday, and the doctor diagnosed her with one of three diseases of which lupus was the least of the three. So on the way to the healing school, she said, Lord, please let me have lupus. Now, that's a sin. I mean, she's going against what the Lord had already done. So then she asked the Lord to forgive her for that sin. Since she saw her arms heal when she repented, she asked the Lord to forgive her of her stupidity, her sins of unbelief. And she, we prayed for her. And over the next week or two, whatever it was, everything in her body went away. And today, Jan's walking in divine health. She said, you know, I heard you kept saying, God created us to walk in divine health. He didn't plan for us to be sick. So when she repented of her sins, can you imagine somebody in the church, just like these people here, they're believers. She was a believer, and she'd been in church for many years, but 15 years she'd had the problem with the deadness in her arms. She had never heard anybody say that sin is what opened the door to the devil. And she never heard anybody say, you've got to repent of that sin before God will heal you. And then she never heard that Jesus was the healer and that he designed us to walk in divine health. So if we don't serve the devil, we don't have to have it. You had a question? Wasn't her husband also a minister? I I think so. Yeah, I think he was. Well, praise God, though, but now he's learned, too, see. So, do what? Oh, she said, wasn't her husband a minister? And I believe he was. We've had several of those come through here. Uh, I, I think Jan's husband was a minister, but uh, uh, several of the people that have come through here, uh, especially the women that have gotten healed, their husbands were either ministers or in the ministry or fixing to go into the ministry or still in seminary or, or whatever. But when they come over here, we teach them the truth. We teach them what God's Word says. And then to those that believe, just like Jan did, she got healed. But I tell you, when she saw her arms get healed, and it, from the time she left here till she got back to that seat right there, she was already healed. And, I mean, that just lit her fire. Now, Lord, I repent for the stupidity of praying, Lord, give me lupus. Can you imagine that? But see, but the doctor said that was the least of the three after the test that she could have. So she wanted at least. She never dreamed she didn't have to have none of it. You know? So with her confession, she was going to kill herself. She, if she had said, Lord, give me lupus, and the lupus had to come upon her, and then she said, well, at least, Lord, thank you for letting me suffer for Jesus with lupus instead of one of those other two. And it would have still killed her. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy what we don't know when we don't study the Word, right? But once she got a hold of the Word and realized what Jesus did for her, no, I ain't taking nothing. I'm repenting of every sin, of my sins of unbelief. I'm casting that devil out. Lord, I'm going to thank you. You're my healer, and I'm going to walk in divine health. And today, she's walking in divine health. Praise God. She's walking in divine health. Now then, 
let's look at here. Let's go now in John 12. Let's go a little further in John. John 12, 24. John 12, 24. He says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Then in verse 25 and 26, he said, He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Is that what it says? He that loveth his life shall lose it. But he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. What is he trying to say? Do you love your life? Most people say, yes, I love my life. But that's not what the Word says we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hate our life and give it to the Lord. Then we'll really love it. That don't make any sense. To us in the flesh, does it? But that's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to put him first. Then look, if we do what he says in John 13, let's go just a little bit further to John 13, 34 and 35. And he says, a new commandment I give unto you. Now, this is a toughie. That you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also Love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another, or one to another. Now, I know every one of you in here have no problem loving everybody you come in contact with every day. <laughs> some people, it's not exactly easy to love at some times. You know that? Some people are easy to love most of the time, but nobody's easy to love all of the time. You know, there is times and days when you have bad days, when you're not exactly the most beautiful, easy thing to get along with. We should not be that way, but we are as human beings, unfortunately. But the king didn't say, if you want to, to love one another. He said, I command you to love one another. I command you to love me. Oh, it works both ways? <laughs> Did you hear that? She commanded me to love her too. Oh, my goodness gracious, a lie. But it's not what she and I just said, it's what the king says that counts. He commanded us to love one another. Ooh. But just like, just like to Adam and Eve, he commanded Adam to love that woman, and he gave that woman to him. And I can only imagine when he saw her clothed in the glory of God, I can see him say, Wow, Lord, look at this beautiful thing you've given me. And just a little while later, God says, Adam, where are you? I'm hid over here. Why are you hid? He said, Lord, 
that woman you gave me, she messed up. <laughs> really? But no. Never did Adam say, Lord, I messed up. But he found it easy to say, that woman, she messed up. Had been happening ever since. Had never changed, has it never? And then when he went to the woman, he said, what would you do? He said, Lord, that serpent, he's a critter. He made me do it. Oh, my goodness. Do we still pass the buck just like that? Of course we do. You know, I could walk out in the place of business and I'd say, I want to know who did this job on this piece of equipment right here. And if I said it like that, everybody backed off and says, Nobody says a thing. I said, you know, I want you all to know that it was the best job I've ever seen. Everybody jumped and said, I had a part in it. <laughs> but until then, nobody wanted to part in it. Well, they thought I was thinking of read of the riot act or something. But whenever there's rewards to be handed out, they all want their name on it. But if there's any kind of condemnation that goes with it, it was, he did it. He did it. Yeah, I was over here holding the tool, Pastor. And I told him when he did that, he wasn't right. But he wouldn't listen to me. <laughs> oh, that's, that's the way. You know how many times I've been through something like that in my life with guys. Oh, my goodness. But at least one thing, when I got on the guys, I never had to worry about them breaking out in tears and crying. That's why I have to let Cheryl run the ministers that are out there, because i got so many ladies out there. If they do something I don't like, i got a few guys, and I can jump on the guys and say something, and there's not a problem. But if I get on one of the girls and talk, like I talk to the guys, what do you mean doing this like this? Oh, that's what he's crying. What did I do wrong? I just want, so I told Cheryl, I said, you got to take care of it. I can't handle these women. <laughs> so I tell her like it, you got to take her. She cries. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. Us guys are just a little bit rougher and coarser than you girls. You know that? So anyway. I just kind of back off and, and see that the overall picture takes place and let her take care of the ladies because she can deal with them. I, I can't. I'm not, I'm not too hard on y'all, though, am I, Rosemary? I'm not too bad. You notice she said I'm not too bad. You notice the way she said that? <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Thank you, Rosemary. I appreciate that. But if we'll do what the Lord says, look at the promises. Let's go to John 14, 12, 13, 14. Now this, if we will do what he says in John 13, 34, and 35. He commanded us to love each other, did he not? Now if we do that, and we keep his words, then he tells us these awesome promises that we can have. I mean, you both love them, don't we, Frank? Woo! I do. I love these promises like this. In fact, it says here, John fourteen twelve. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. That's an awesome one, isn't it, Gina? And verse 13, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son, if you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. That verse right there is the verse I used down in Manny, Louisiana that night when I prayed for Johnny Brumfield. That man that had those two knees crushed, had those steel braces all the way. And I used those two verses. 
And I ask the Father in Jesus' name to restore those two crushed knees of that man that hadn't walked a step in 21 months. And he took that steel off and got up and walked off and ran down the aisles of that church screaming, God is awesome. Wow! Do we love to see the king do those kind of things, Dean? Woo! I mean, but he made the promise. Why can't we make them work every time? That's a good question. Maybe that night I was walking in love. Oh, if I could do that 24-7, I'd love it. But the devil... He knows that if we can walk in love 24-7, He knows the promises of God too. And He knows what can happen. Because He didn't want that man to walk and run that night. But that man did walk and run that night. And that is so awesome to see God do those kind of things. I love it. Wow, do I love it. Then He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if you do love me and you will keep my commandments, then look at that next verse in 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. You know who that comforter is? The Holy Ghost. I mean, if you ain't got him, don't leave home without him. Because you can do nothing without him. But with him, nothing is impossible. Then he says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. They won't believe it. Unfortunately, a lot of the church won't believe the Holy Ghost. They don't believe that there is a Holy Ghost. And you may not believe it, but some of you will. I have been a member of churches most of my life that when they preached about the Holy Ghost, they preached against the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Against it. Not for it. Makes you wonder. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me get this. I remember when I was about 10 years old, I went to a Baptist church, and I remember the pastor ridiculing and, and making fun of Pentecostal people. And it, as a child, it just gave me goosebumps. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just knew it wasn't right. No, and it's not right. And, you know, of course, you know, if we don't understand something, we're supposed to all be the body of Christ. And let's don't ridicule them. You know, let's just uh, do the best we can to love them. That's what the Lord says. We're supposed to love each other. But he says there, Even the Spirit of truth which the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwells within you, and with you, and shall be in you. So the Holy Spirit is going to be in us. Then he says, I will... Not leave you comfortless, I will come to you yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But you see me, because I live, you shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keeps them. You need to really highlight and underline that line. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, does what he says. He it is that loves me, and he that loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. 
If you don't remember anything else tonight, remember that verse. If you keep the king's commandments, if, he says, he that hath my commandments, walk in love. Love God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. And keeps them. That must only mean half of the time or on Sunday. On Sunday, you can walk in love in church, right? Not always. Sometimes even Sunday in church, you're not careful. You can lose it. Some people get into a knockdown drag out on Sunday when they get home after church. Some come to church in a knockdown drag out. And the king, we want to know why nothing happens when we pray. I have your answers right here. He that hath my commandments and keeps them. In other words, does them. He it is that loves me. If you love the Lord, he says you'll do that. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. I can't think of anything greater than for Jesus to talk to you, to manifest himself to you, to make his presence known to you. And I will say that when you become fortunate enough, regardless of what the circumstance is that caused it, when you become fortunate enough to hear the authoritative, audible voice of the Holy Spirit, God speak to you in an audible voice. If you can be the same tomorrow, something's wrong with you. You know, when he started talking to me, that's what changed my faith walk forever. I had virtually no faith until he started talking to me. And after he started talking to me, I thought, wow, this God is really real. He talks. And when he starts talking to you, then, wow, it changes the way you look at the Word, doesn't it? Amen. Praise the Lord. Because he manifests himself to you. What causes him to manifest himself to you? Love and obedience. Keep His Word. Keep His commandments. Do what He says. Walk in obedience. It's amazing what He does. Well, praise the Lord. It's just about, not quite 9 o'clock, but we're going to quit right there. That's a good place uh, to quit, I think. Oh, wait. We've got two scriptures left. I want to, right there. In 23, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If a man loves me, He will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And he and the word which you heard is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. So, if we really love the Lord... And keep his word. He makes us a promise there. If a man love me, he will keep my words or my sayings or my commandments. And my Father will love him. And we will come, we, all of us, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, we will come unto him and make our abode or dwelling place within you. And whenever that really comes to you and becomes a reality to you, when the king comes and shows up at your house and dwells in you, 
when He really is dwelling in you and the Holy Spirit's in you, then if you're walking in obedience to His Word and doing what He says, if we could find somebody that could do all these things, then when you speak in His name, what would happen? I mean, there's no limitations, is there? Cerebral palsy will be healed. That's right. Autism will be healed. You know, I mean, all kinds of things. But, I mean, I, I remember when we came back from up north one time, and I so prayed for a little boy, just like we prayed for one the other day, a cerebral palsy boy here. He wanted to be healed. He believed he was going to be healed. We prayed, me and Ty and, and, and uh, uh, Arvel, we got him up, we walked him, we prayed, we rebuked the devil, we did everything. But that boy went home in his wheelchair. We did not get him healed. But just like the first time, I guess it was, Cheryl and I went out together after we got married. She was seeing these miracles happen, then she saw one little boy not get healed. And on the way home, she said, honey, why did this boy not get healed? I said, it was my fault. She said, your fault. I said, yeah. I said, the boy repented of his sins. He did everything. But I have not paid the price to get him healed. She said, what is the price? I said, prayer and fasting. She said, what is the limits? I said, well, 40 days. 40 days of prayer and fasting will put you to the level where you need to be. Now, a lot of people fast for 40 days, but they don't spend that time with God. They just go on a fast. They lose a lot of weight, but they don't really get a lot. I know of a group of men, about seven of them, I believe, and they locked themselves up in a building for 21 days. And those men, they didn't go outside that building. They prayed and fast inside that building, stayed there, lived there for 21 days, and sought God, and just, I mean, sought, read, studied, quoted the Word, prayed over the Word for day and night for 21 days. And when they, after 21 days, the story is that they walked out and they were going down the street and the first thing they did was run up on a boy in a wheelchair, had several paws, one on one of them just touched him in the name of Jesus and the boy jumped out of the wheelchair and was instantly healed. I thought, wow. What are we waiting on? Yeah. <laughs> you too, right? You can do the same thing. We can do this. Jesus did make these promises to every one of His children. That's good news, isn't it? Yep, that's good news. I mean, I think about this guy that Cheryl got a book of his the other day. Mahesh or whatever, Mahesh or whatever his name is. When he was a young man here in this area, he was going to school. And he, there was a little boy that was Stevie. That was so messed up. And he had such compassion. He said, God, if there's anything I could do to get that boy healed, I'll do it. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, 14 days of prayer and fasting will get that boy healed. 14 days. He said, the first three days, no food and no water. The fourth day, you start drinking water only. But you spend time with me. 14 days with me, blocked up, praying and fasting. After the 14th day, you can get that boy healed. And he did it. And when he walked back in there that day, he said, I walked into that room where that little boy was bound. They kept him in a straitjacket. He said, I just literally walked in. My hand went up just like that. I said, in the name of Jesus. And the little boy was instantly healed. The demon came out of him, and that little boy was healed and totally set free right there. But it took 14 days of dedicated prayer and fasting for that to happen. But there's been many, many stories like that.
You know, I mean, many of the scriptures, Paul, he said, I prayed and fast often. You know, I was raised in a church, I never heard about fasting. We've done a lot of feasting, but no fasting. I had never, never, unfortunately, heard the Baptists that I was a member of for 65 years. I never heard them have a sermon on fasting. I didn't know such a thing until I started reading the Word myself. I mean, really reading it. And I'm sure the Lord would say, well, if you'd have started reading it a whole lot earlier, you'd have known. If you'd have believed, I've told you. Isn't that what He would say to you and me, Deborah? It's in there, isn't it? Lord, I didn't know. He said, didn't you read my book? You, you know, the first thing the king's going to say to every one of us when he shows us something, he said, Lord, what's this? He's going to say, didn't you read my book? And you said, well, yeah, I did. He said, well, then in Isaiah or Jeremiah or whatever I said right there, that's what this is. And you didn't believe me. So didn't you read my book? Yeah. Oh, God's done some wonderful things, but why does he do them so sparsely? You know, why is it if we, the church, are the most magnificent, powerful entity on the face of the earth, why do we so see so few miracles and healings and, and things when we pray? Something wrong with us. Huh? Very little obedience. Yeah. When you're obedient, He changes your life. You know that better than anybody in this room. Yeah. But obedience. I don't know about you, but we need to all work on obedience, Right? And Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, to just sit down and talk about your word and see what you said. Lord, you're the one. We're at Bible study because we're studying your word. And Lord, you told us what to do and you told us if we will do what you said, you said what you would do through us. But Lord, unfortunately, we're not there. Lord, help us this week to get closer to you so that the people we pray for, we can see more greater and mightier miracles of healing and deliverance and salvation. And where we walk, people will know we're walking holy in obedience to your word. Help us, Lord, to do this. Lord, help us to crucify the flesh daily. I know you told us to do this, but Lord, it's hard. Help us to put this piece of flesh to death and walk in the spirit and to get in your word and do what you say so we can see you glorified. Thank you, Father, for your word. And we praise you and thank you for this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.